It's good to see you all here. And uh, if you are new, my name is Dave Dorst. I would love to meet you after the service. Um, If you're feeling way far back there, there's lots of room over here where the other pastors usually sit. They're on vacation this morning. So, um, before we dive into the ninth commandment, I, I did mean to pray for the college students. I know they're not all leaving this week, but a lot of probably uh, leaving. And I know Miles Spence, this is your last Sunday, right? So he's our, our uh, I think our only starting college freshman. So you're starting at Mary Washington. So let me take a minute and pray for all the students who are leaving this week or next week, going back. Um, didn't write down your names, but we're going to blanket prayer. Lord God, thank you. For our college students uh, who have come home for the summer and are heading back, uh, we pray for the year ahead that uh, it's probably not going to look like the last year they had or other years, but it'll be filled with new challenges and experiences. I pray that you would go with them. Lord, help them to uh, remain faithful wherever they are, whatever school they're at, whatever they're surrounded with. God, that they are growing and maturing into uh, vocations, into callings. I pray that they would use uh, that education uh, to propel them into what you want to work through their lives. But also be with them uh, during this experience of of college to uh, love those around them, to share uh, the light of Christ with them. We pray especially for Miles as he... uh, Heads off for the first time. Goes to Mary Washington. I pray for his uh, running as well as his academics. I thank you that he has been raised at this church. And I uh, just, we are excited to see what you do in the lives of each one of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Lance Armstrong. Barry Bonds, Pete Rose. Uh, we're not going to put him in that category there. All great athletes. <laughs> big names, big accomplishments. Drew will be there someday, right? Already, but not in that list. Because I think you know why I've listed those people together. Because while they should be known for the great accomplishments that they had on the field, on their bikes, uh, the the way they dominated their sports, what are they really known for? They're known for cheating and scandal and lying about it, right? Lance Armstrong denied taking steroids to help him win all those Tour de France races and went after Anyone who said that he did until the evidence just was overwhelming. Barry Bonds claims he never took steroids despite, you know, these massive muscles and becoming the greatest power hitter at a late stage in his career. And until so many people came forward that said, yeah, they had supplied him with all the different substances that had been banned Pete Rose, the hit king, for decades said, I never bet on baseball as a manager. He maintained his innocence for for a long time until several years ago he finally admitted, okay, yeah, I did. I bet on baseball because he wants to get into the Hall of Fame. 
right? But baseball hasn't forgiven him. They haven't let him in yet. Each one of those men did something wrong and they would have been held accountable for it, whether they admitted what they did or not. But they really dug a hole for themselves, even if it was just in the court of public opinion, by flagrantly and repeatedly lying about it. Lying plagues our society. Maybe you're already sick of talking about or hearing about fake news. I know I am, um, and I don't even watch that much news. But it was certainly a big deal uh, during the election cycle. And we had all kinds of accusations, um, and you couldn't really escape them. And, and some of the headlines were, Pope Francis shocks world, endorses Donald Trump for president, which wasn't true. And FBI agent suspected in Hillary email leaks found dead of apparent murder-suicide, which is not only a fake story, but the Denver Guardian, where it was posted, is not a real paper. And so we had all kinds of headlines like that. And, and those were the ones that were actually written as fake stories. What about when Brian Williams is cornered and has to admit that he wasn't really on a helicopter that got shot down in Iraq? Or Rolling Stone magazine that published uh, an article about campus rape that was totally based on a false incident. Okay, so celebrities and, and politicians and the media lie to us. Tell me something I don't know, right? According to an article I read that was titled, 60% of people can't go 10 minutes without lying. That was the name of the article. It was also the content. They've, they've done studies where people answer questions and they're videotaped and they speak for 10 minutes and, and they're somewhat led, but they watch back the video and they're astounded at how often they've lied and shaded the truth. And even when they didn't even realize they were doing it. The article says that 40% of people lie on their resumes. 85% of people continue to lie to their parents into adulthood. 90% of people lie on their dating website profiles. People lie even when they don't have to. They're just so used to it, they don't see any problems or consequences. Now that article, that may be fake news. I don't even know. Take it with a grain of salt. But how about you? How about me? Where do we fall short in the honesty category? Do we have a picture of ourselves that we are fundamentally truthful but in reality, we shade the truth and then we embrace falsehood all too easily. I find that I'm a lot more like Kim Wexler than I am Honest Abe Lincoln. Who's Kim Wexler? Glad you asked. She's a character on a TV show, Better Call Saul, which is the prequel to Breaking Bad. And I'm not recommending either of these shows even though I think they're brilliant studies of compromise and rationalizing sin. But uh, you decide whether you should watch them. But in season two of Better Call Saul, Jimmy McGill is a very smart uh, and, but often unethical lawyer who hasn't really decided whether he's going to try to play it straight and honest 
or sort of be a shady lawyer. And usually the shady side wins out. His older brother, Chuck, is a brilliant an honest lawyer who looks down on Jimmy for cutting corners and getting away with unethical behavior. And Kim Wexler is Jimmy's girlfriend who constantly tries to get him to do things honestly. And so near the end of the season, uh, Jimmy is trying to start a new practice with Kim. If you're watching it, you might want to plug, spoiler, all that. But Kim thinks that she has won a big client to start this new practice. But then Chuck is able to lure the client back to his big law firm. Remember the the brother. Well, Jimmy decides that he has a way to win the client back. But it's not ethical at all. In fact, it involves him sneaking into his brother's uh, house and doctoring up some documents uh, that are going to sabotage Chuck's work, knowing that it's ultimately going to bring that client back to Kim. And he rationalizes that, oh, Kim deserves the client, and it's not really hurting Chuck. He's a part of such a big firm. We deserve that. And it, fir- and it works. And at first, Chuck is devastated because he thinks that he messed up. But then he realizes what Jimmy's done. He figures it out, and he calls him on it. And one of the most significant moments of the whole season for me, was when Chuck explains everything to Kim, who, remember, has been very unwilling to accept Jimmy's unethical side and and has been urging him to do the right thing and be a lawyer with integrity. And as Chuck's talking, you realize, like, Kim Kim knows he's telling the truth. She knows that Jimmy's done this thing and gotten this client unethically, and you're kind of bracing for her to kind of go, thanks, Chuck, you know, uh, and go off on Jimmy. I can't believe you did that. We can't do a law practice together. We can't, I can't even be your girlfriend. You don't, we don't know what she's going to say. And yet she doesn't. Because she's got too much to lose at that point. And so she looks at Chuck and essentially says, Chuck, you made a mistake And now you're blaming your brother. Shame on you. And it's at that moment that we know that Kim has accepted Jimmy's unethical, lying ways. That she's been pulled into his darkness. That she's forever now morally compromised like him. Even though up until then she's been his conscience. And as much as I want to believe that I'm a very honest person, always seeking truth, always turning from darkness and deceit, it's not always true. Because I will embrace a lie when it's convenient, when it, when it helps me out, when it's easier, when I've got something to lose. Maybe you're the same way. Maybe we need to be reminded often of Exodus 20. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord, the scriptures endure forever. Lord God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Open and illuminate our minds this morning that we may purely perfectly understand your word and conform our lives to it.
can be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first way that we need to look at this commandment, I think, is in its most narrow, restrictive, technical sense. When you are asked to provide an account of something that happened, tell the truth. Right? The most obvious situation is when you're called to testify in a legal proceeding. You must tell the truth. Perjury is lying under oath. So don't distort the truth. Don't bend the truth so that it convicts someone that you don't like or it frees someone that you do. Remember Exodus 23, 1 through 3, it expands the ninth commandment. It says, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Now, the justice system in the ancient world worked a lot differently than ours. Uh, As broken and and dysfunctional as ours might be at times, it's a vast improvement in many ways. People were not innocent until proven guilty then. The accuser didn't always get a chance to defend himself. There weren't high standards for evidence, and often a court was willing to convict on the word of one witness. The words of a false witness then could be fatal since the punishment was often death. Now, due to God's law and guidance, Israel was different. Israel used a jury of elders and the requirements of more than one witness. And if the allegations proved to be false, the accuser was punished instead. But eyewitness testimony has always and is now, and will always be important. And there's a good reason that the U.S. justice system swears you in with an oath that says, I do solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Right? Because lady justice cannot rule correctly when tr- unless truth is spoken. And I'm sure that that is difficult at times. I've, I've never had to testify in a courtroom, uh, but I did testify before the school board on behalf of a student who was uh, appealing a suspension that he felt was unjust. And he actually had a lawyer for this, and um, even though it was just going to happen at the school board, at the school uh, building, and uh, the lawyer was prepping me and, and going through what questions I might get and what answers I might give back. And at one point... He was kind of feeding me, and I said, "Mm, no, I'm not comfortable. I'm not going to say that because it's not true. I love this kid, but I'm not going to lie for him. It was tempting because I agreed that he shouldn't have been suspended, but I wasn't willing to be a false witness for or against him. And we're, call, we're called to recount the truth in a lot of different situations, even when you're not under oath, Right? It's as basic as when mom and dad say, who broke the lamp? 
Everybody, all the kids need to answer truthfully, whether it indicts them or their favorite sibling or playmate. In a larger sense, each one of us is bound to tell the truth in school, at work, in those situations where something's gone wrong, you have to recount your understanding of the truth. And of course, there's lots of stories, uh, TV shows where you see that people remember things differently and it's all very postmodern. You know your truth. And I, I get that. Sometimes we remember differently than someone else. But you are still called to answer with what you know is the truth, what you understand, what you remember. Don't shade the truth again to protect someone or to wrongfully hurt them. Don't change it to make yourself look better. You remember the comic strip Dilbert? I don't know if it's still going. We don't get a paper. It is still going? Okay, it's still going. So that, you know, it's set in an office. And uh, one of the cartoons from many years back had Dilbert's boss telling him, I want you to negotiate the sale of our voice-activated Hassock business. You're not allowed to lie, but I expect plenty of omissions, misdirections, exaggerations, unjustified optimism, lost documents, unclear explanations, gray areas, and tactical ignorance. Oh, and say that we have other offers. It's a reminder that false witness covers so many areas, doesn't it? As we see with all the commandments, what they forbid is the most extreme form of the sin, right? So when we studied the sixth commandment, do not murder, we see murder is the ultimate, but what is condemned is so many other things leading up to it, right? The seventh commandment, adultery, do not commit adultery, but so many other sexual sins and thoughts leading up to adultery are prohibited as well. And so we reflect on this passage. We reflect on uh, other scripture teachings like James 3 that talks about the dangers of the tongue. We see that lying can happen in all kinds of situations. Now I don't quote Rick Warren very often, not because I don't think he's right. I just know there's a lot of people that do quote him. And, um, but I, I saw he gave kind of an analysis of the kinds of lies that we tell and why. I've, your, I think this is the first time I've used blanks, at least in a long time. Um, so he's, he's kind of given five categories. And I've, I, as I was thinking through them, I found five biblical examples that kind of fit each one. But don't let the biblical examples keep you from thinking about your own life, too. The first category is the cruel lie. Cruel, C-R-U-E-L, is motivated by anger. And so I think of Joseph in the end of Genesis who was slandered and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, accused of uh, attempted rape because he had rebuffed her advances. And that resulted in many years in prison for him. We maliciously lie to get back at someone. Maybe not to that extent. But when you're angry, it may cause you to sin in that way. Second, the cowardly lie is motivated by fear. I think of uh, Abraham, also in Genesis, when his wife is taken 
by a king and he's afraid. And so he says, tell him you're my sister. We lie to avoid what we think will bring us pain and hurt. Third, the conceited lie is motivated by insecurity. We, we puff ourselves up. Uh, Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, members of the early church, sold a field and said, hey, let's go to the church. Let's tell everybody there that we sold it and we're giving everything from the field to the church. And yet they kept a significant portion back. And Peter calls them on that. And they paid with their lives. We want people to admire us, right? So we bend the truth to make us look better. The calculated lie is motivated by selfishness. First Kings chapter 21. We have King Ahab. And he's got his eye on a vineyard owned by a man named Namoth. And he asks for it. Namoth said, no, I can't give you this vineyard. And, and he's, Ahab's kind of pouting. And his wife Jezebel says, what are you doing? You're the king. Go get a couple guys to falsely accuse him. They'll stone him. You'll have your vineyard. That's exactly how it plays out. Ahab gets his vineyard. He also gets Elijah knocking, telling him he's going to die soon. But this is maybe the most common reason we lie, is just to get what we want. No matter what we have to do or to say to get it. And last, number five, the convenient lie is motivated by laziness. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 21. Two brothers are asked by their dad to go work in the vineyard. One of them says, oh yeah, uh, I'm not doing that. But then he changes his mind. He goes and does it. The other one says, I'll get right to it. I'm on it. But he doesn't. Right? That's probably, that was probably my most common line when I was a teenager. Oh yeah, I finished my homework and my chores. Sure. Our laziness compels us to cover it up. Larger catechism lists some of the deeper ways that we break the commandment. And I didn't write these down in here. Um, just listen. You're going to be able to write all these down. If, but there's a bunch. But think through as I say them. We break this commandment when we call evil good and good evil. When we reward the wicked according to the work of the righteous or the other way around. When we Speak the truth maliciously to a wrong end. Forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence in a just cause, slandering, backbiting, detracting, scoffing, reviling, misconstruing intentions, flattering, boasting, thinking or speaking too highly or too meanly of ourselves and others. Denying the gifts and graces of God, aggravating smaller faults, hiding or excusing sins when called to confess, receiving and passing on evil reports, rejoicing in others' disgrace and infamy, and breaches of lawful promises. 
And as with most of these commandments, we need to remember that it's not just about changing or avoiding the bad, right? Every commandment carries the weight of our seeking the good with it. So the, the catechism says that obeying this commandment means giving a charitable esteem of our neighbors, right? Thinking rightly of them until they prove us wrong. Loving, desiring, and rejoicing in others' good names. Sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, their sins. That it would grieve us and not delight us when others sin. Freely acknowledging others' gifts and graces. Defending their innocence. A ready receiving of a good report. Willingness unwillingness to admit an evil report concerning them and discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers. The commandment is thou shall not, but it carries uh, many implications of you shall love your neighbor and seek the good of those around you with truth. But you know, maybe Jack Nicholson was right. You can't handle the truth. I almost called this sermon that. Uh, Telling the truth all the time in every way is overwhelming. Just from that list alone. right? It's virtually impossible. And part of that is because our natural selves, our natural bent, was that we were enslaved to sin. And John 8, tells us that the devil is the father of lies. It's his native tongue. And we were, by nature, children of wrath, children of the devil. But the Lord adopted us, made us new creations in Christ, and enabled us to walk into the light. And yet we still struggle with that old nature, where dishonesty was easy, and natural. Ultimately, we should strive for truth, not just for truth's sake, but because God is truth. God has never told a lie, has never been in danger of stepping outside the truth because he is the source. Truth flows from him, from who he is. And he stands against anything that is false. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is called the spirit of truth many times in scriptures. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. The spirit is called the spirit of truth and the word is the word of truth. The scriptures. Lying comes from a deceived heart, right? Matthew twelve thirty four says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to change and speak truth instead of falsehood, it begins with remembering who you are in Christ. But it has to come from a radically transformed heart that hungers and thirsts for the truth of God. To soak your mind in the scriptures because they will never lie to you. 
You can walk around all week and be lied to by the media, by pop culture, by everything. Grab the scriptures and you found truth. Pray for God's wisdom and truth and he will give it to you. Be courageous enough to suffer the consequences of telling the truth, of clinging to the truth. You may even need to think back on any damage that you've done in the past and and seek forgiveness from anyone that you've hurt with your words, with your lies. But then commit to loving the truth and living in truth. Matthew 26, 59 through 61 tells us, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking the false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. If you remember the context, Jesus is on trial, right? The Jewish leaders didn't have a whole lot of reasons to convict him except that he didn't follow their rules. And he seemed to be a false prophet in their eyes. And he did shocking things like heal people on the Sabbath. And he didn't fit with who they needed to be the Messiah. And they rejected his lordship and his divinity. But they needed a reason to condemn him in their courts so that they could turn him over to the Roman governor who had the power to execute him. So they found false witnesses whom the gospel of Mark says their testimony did not agree. It was obvious that it was a sham trial. But the trial, both trials proceeded anyways on trumped up charges and Jesus was condemned to die that very day. He was hung on a cross and crucified. But through it all, 1 Peter 2 says, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. All through his life and up to death. And the religious leaders assumed his death would silence his followers and end his ministry. But little did they know that God would use his death as a way of not only spreading his message, but as the ultimate solution to the problem of our sin and condemnation. Because Jesus died in our place and bore the wrath of God for our sin, that all who accept him as Savior and Lord will not be judged for their sins because he's already paid the penalty for them. You have a witness on your behalf in the heavenly court, the great judge and creator of all things, God the Father, sees that you have an advocate and a witness, and he is not a false witness. The devil may accuse you of everything you've done, and he may not even lie. He may just list your sins and the ways that you've offended God's holiness. 
But Jesus testifies on your behalf. And he doesn't testify that you are without sin. No, he knows the depths of your depravity. But he testifies that he took the penalty for you. And he substitutes his perfect record for your record of sin. He speaks that truth. And God the Father pronounces you just and acceptable in his sight. If you've never understood how Jesus' work on your behalf saves you from your sins and eternal damnation, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Jesus' offer of forgiveness and salvation is for you. And today is the day of salvation. But for those who believe and are redeemed, I want to challenge you and remind you That everywhere you go, you are a representative, an ambassador. Second Corinthians calls us an ambassador of God. You have an opportunity to witness to the work of Jesus in this world and in your life. The question is, will you be a false witness who swallows your tongue and keeps what you've seen to yourself? Or will you be bold enough to be a truthful witness and share the gospel with those who need to hear it? Let us tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. Lord God, thank you for these commandments that we are slowly taking one by one because they deserve the time and attention we give it every week and deserve so much more. God, remind us of what they forbid us to do and what they require of us. And so as our hearts are naturally bent on deceiving others, of escaping the consequences of our actions, of of gaining things that we shouldn't have by lies. That we use lies in so many situations to make ourselves feel and look better. And yet you remind us that that is not what a child of God embraces Your children embrace truth. Your children embrace light. Because you are the truth. You are the light. May we walk in your truth. Lord, drive us to the scriptures to remind us of everything that is true. When we get turned around by this world's lies, Drive us to the scriptures, to our knees, to remember your truth. That we may be acceptable and true witnesses. That we may be believed and have a good report from the world and not be known as someone who plays hard and fast with the truth. And so if they can't trust us In some areas, how can they trust us saying that you are Lord? God, may we be 
your representatives, your ambassadors, boldly going and speaking the gospel. That you love us, that Jesus died for us. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Amen.